Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The commemoration of St. Michael and all angels is a good news, bad news kind of day. For we heard, Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. The bad news, the devil has come down to us, actually has been thrown down to us, cast down to us in great wrath. Wrath against God, wrath against the church of God, wrath against Christians, wrath against all who are in Christ Jesus, wrath against you. That's the bad news. The good news is his time is short. His time of wrath is short. Not short enough for us, but the clock is ticking. Ticking until the day comes when Jesus returns and the devil who was cast down from heaven is then cast down from the earth as well and into the abyss of fire. He and all his evil demon angels with him. A day that cannot come soon enough. But until that day, there is war on earth. Spiritual warfare. Good versus evil. We don't want that. We don't like that. But that's the way it is. And we ignore it at our own peril. Like if you were in Ukraine right now, you could deny that there is a war going on and go out and live your life as usual. You could do that. And you may get blown up by a bomb. Not the best move. So too are ignoring this war that is raging all around us. All the readings that we heard today spoke of this war. But of all the readings we heard today, they all also spoke of victory. From Daniel we heard that at that time, your people shall, not may, not maybe, not perhaps, your people shall be delivered. In the reading from Revelation, we heard they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And then in the reading from St. Luke, the disciples were excited because, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So although we are in a war, we know how it's going to turn out. We know who wins, and that gives us hope. Hope to go on even when the fighting is fierce around us and in us. And the fighting is fierce, isn't it? All the ways the devil is fighting against God and his truth. I could go on through a whole list of things that are going on in our world today that are evidence of that. But maybe the most telling is how empty Churches are in many places. Great 
cathedrals that were once full of people now get only a handful of people each Sunday, while sports stadiums and concert venues are often packed with waiting lists for tickets and people willing to pay any price to get in. The devil has convinced people they don't need God. They're good the way they are, or if they're not, they can fix themselves and save themselves. Science, medicine, AI, they will be our saviors. It seems like the church, like Jesus, judging by appearances, is losing this war. But don't be deceived. It looked that way before, too, on the cross. With whipped Jesus, bloody Jesus, crucified Jesus, dead Jesus. And a dead Savior is no Savior. How can he save you when he couldn't even save himself? That was the accusation that was going around when Jesus was crucified by those who mocked him and didn't believe in him. But then, the unexpected victory, the empty tomb, by a Savior who wasn't there just to save from the Romans, or from poverty, or from injustice, or from inequality, or any other thing that people think we need saving from today. He came to save from death. A Savior to give not just life for a time, or to improve our life here for a time, but for eternal life. Now that's not the kind of Savior they were looking for, so they missed Him. And maybe many people today as well. So they don't believe in him. They think him a crackpot. But what they thought was losing. And the evidence of his lunacy and fraud. Was actually the path of victory and life. And so it is significant, I think, that all three of the readings that we heard today, all three that spoke of victory, were written at times when it looked like the church, like Jesus, was losing. Daniel comes from a time when the people of God had been conquered in war, their city and their temple destroyed, and they had been taken off as exiles to Babylon. The reading from Luke comes just after Jesus was rejected by the Samaritans. Opposition from the Jews was ramping up, and Jesus was being called demon-possessed by some. And the book of Revelation was written when the church was being persecuted by Rome. And John was in exile on the island of Patmos. So to speak of victory in all these circumstances, well, seems a bit presumptuous. That is, if all you have to judge by is current events. But that's the rut we're in, isn't it? 
What's happening now? What have you done for me lately? Who has the most likes and hits and retweets or whatever shares on X are called these days? So the challenge for us is not to believe what we see. Not to make long-term judgments on short-term events. But to believe what we hear. To believe the words and promises of God. One of which is about angels. I'm fascinated that even those who really don't believe in God like to believe in angels. There's just something about these benevolent, good Samaritan spirits hovering around to help us that people just like to believe. They want to believe that when our loved ones die, they become one of these angels and look over us and protect us. There's a whole cottage industry of books and pictures and knickknacks to promote this kind of belief in angels. Angels that people have never seen and yet believe. But what makes people think these angels if they're out there like that, want to help us. That they're kind and benevolent and not deceitful and mean, and how would we know? Sometimes people we know are genuine to us and they seem like they want to help us and we only find out later that it was all a ruse, that they took advantage of us, that we got stabbed in the back. Why not angels too? Unless, unless they aren't just free agent spirits hovering around, but part of a bigger picture, a bigger spiritual reality, unless there is a commander of this angel army and using them to fight for us. That would make a big difference. So when Jesus is called the Lord God Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the commander of the army of angels, that's significant. Because though we have not seen angels, their commander has been seen. And we know what he's like. And we know what he's done. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cleansed lepers. He cast out demons. He forgave sinners. He provided for those in need. He showed mercy and compassion. And he laid down his life for the life of the world. He took away the sin of the world by putting it upon himself and dying with it, dying for it in your place. Now, the angels of God could have stopped it. Jesus said when Peter was trying to stop his arrest with the sword, he said to Peter, don't you think I could call on my father and he would send at once more than 12 legions of angels in my defense? But he would not make such an appeal. He would die so you could live. And now risen from the dead, 
This same loving, compassionate, lay down his life for you, Jesus is commanding his army of angels to do the same. To serve you. To protect you. For if that's what Jesus came and did for you, why would he send his angels to do anything different? So they do what they are commanded, and what they are commanded is good. And though we do not see them and do not know all they are doing, as many stories in the scriptures teach us, it is far more than we think or imagine. And it is frightening to think what this world would be like if they weren't. For there is still a war going on. The devil still hates God and his church and all who are in Christ Jesus. He still wants to drag you down to hell with him. Not forcibly, but with unbelief. To make you doubt God. To make you doubt his goodness and love. To doubt his words and promises. To doubt his forgiveness. That God isn't really helping you. You have to save yourself. This world and this life is all that you have. So hold on tight with all your might. But against this word, you have heard the word of God, the word of truth, the word which was made flesh and shed his blood for you, the word that saves. For as we heard in the reading again from Revelation of those in heaven, they have conquered the devil, the accuser. How? By the blood of the lamb, the word made flesh. And by the word, the word of their testimony. And in the reading from Luke, it was the proclamation, the word of the name of Jesus by which the demons were subject to the apostles. But Jesus says, don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice in this, as great as that may be, that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That is, rejoice in the greatest words you could ever hear. The word of your Savior which says, I forgive you all your sins. For that is the word the devil never, ever wants you to hear. He wants your sins on you not on Jesus. He wants your sins on you to crush you with guilt and shame. He wants your sins on you to disqualify you from heaven and eternal life. He wants your sins on you as an anchor down to hell. And so all his wrath and rage is against those words to empty out churches so that you not hear them. Or if you do, that you do not believe them. Or to get churches to focus on other things, other topics. That you not hear those words. Because they are the words that conquer him. They are the words 
which give life. And think of all the wars that have started in our world because people would not say those words. Wars between friends, family, spouses, neighbors. Wars angels cannot fight. Battles that are fought only by the word and spirit of God. And they do. They fight for you through that word that you hear here. The word of absolution. The word proclaimed in the gospel. The word in baptism. The word in the supper. The word which scripture also tells us is a sharp two-edged sword. So that every time you hear those words of grace and forgiveness, it is as the apostle said, Satan is falling. He is being conquered by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. And so where Jesus is and his word is, there his angels are too. So in the liturgy, We hear of the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven who join us around the altar of the Lord's Supper. We join in their song of holy, holy, holy in the Sanctus. We join the hymn of praise they sang at the birth of Jesus when we sing the Gloria. And then as we leave this place of such hidden glory, we go home with their protection. At the command of Jesus, who has here forgiven us, fed us, and freed us. Until one day we leave this place to go to a new heavens and a new earth with no more sin, no more evil, no more devil, only peace and joy and victory. That's the good news in what is perhaps a bad news world. The devil is fighting, but his time is short. Our weapons may look weak, but they are strong. And a cross which looks like losing really gives life. So do not despair. What you see, what you feel, what seems, when you look around, do not lose hope. What John saw you will soon see. And Jesus' joy will be your joy as well. For your names are written in heaven, written in blood. And not for a short time, but for eternity. So, at the end of the service today, please sing loudly. Sing loudly. My tongue, the glorious battle. Sing the ending of the fray. Now the cross, above the cross, the trophy. Sound the loud triumphant lay. Tell how Christ, the world's redeemer, as a victim, won the day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.